Board Gaming with Education, a podcast for anyone curious about how games and education mix. We explore various topics like game-based learning, gamification, and board games, and the impacts they have on learning. Here's your host, Dustin Stats. Welcome to Board Gaming with Education. We're here again with Jay and Spencer, and we're going to do a top five countdown. And the top five list for today is games that taught us something or we learned something from a game. Pretty much the same thing. But (laughs) we'll start with Jay since he chimed in with his laugh. (laughs) (laughs) Number Number five. five. Well, before we get started on this list, I want to say that I was really tempted to just add a lot of war games because a lot of war games do teach history and are very historical and I can make a list on that alone but I wanted to highlight one game in particular that did that extremely well and that would be Black Orchestra. Black Orchestra is a cooperative game where all the players take a real life Nazi, a person that actually existed and they try to attempt to assassinate Hitler. And the name of that conspiracy was called the Black Orchestra. In the game, it happens over, uh, there are many rounds that take place, and each round has different historic events that happen. And what makes this one stand apart from other war games or historical games is that when historic moments happen in this game, you can feel it. And they definitely change the game or add a, a significant amount of tension to it. And because of that, I can learn this history and retain the history a lot more. And that's my number five, Black Orchestra. And we'll go over to Spencer. All right, well, then I'll get the war game out of the way. So, you know, it doesn't just get peppered in there. It doesn't sound like we're doing a lot of war games. And say Twilight Struggle. That was your number one. Well, it's the one I'm going to get out of the way. Because you can learn a lot of history out of it. But also, when you play it enough, it kind of becomes this thing you can... If you're on Reddit, you can stumble across some information and go, oh, yeah, I have context for that. So for me, one of those things was uh, Khrushchev made a speech about that he said, we will bury you. Uh, And then there was a whole article about how that in context, uh, that was a little mistranslated. And there was a little bit debate about how and what and how aggressive that statement actually was, but it affected U.S. policy and uh, the public mindset. Just kind of interesting in, uh, you know, real life. Media can affect you. I wonder how many war games are going to show up on these lists. I'm done with war games now. Whoa. He's done. I don't believe it. He's retiring. No, but you both bring up some really good points, and one of my favorite things that games do and I've done in the past is learn through tangential learning. That's not a real word. So I would save that for another episode, but I think it fits in pretty well here. And that's like doing extra learning outside of the game. So the game piques your interest in a certain topic, and then you go on to look into it. So I think that would probably fall into your Twilight Struggle category here. Mm. But my number five would be (laughs) Balderdash. (laughs) And I think this game... I just really enjoyed it. It was one of the first games that I played that was a party game that I had a lot of fun. And it was a while back in college. And I 
I fell out of board games. I didn't really play a lot of board games in college and in high school. I played Risk a lot, some trading card games. Then I played Balderdash, and I learned to be a bit more creative and learned about some different definitions of words. You learn about some really strange laws in different states as well. So Balderdash or Fibbage? I think Fibbage took similar mechanics as Balderdash. Balderdash is... Yeah, it teaches you how to lie well. The The only problem with Boulder Dash that I have is that there are no rules about voting for yourself. And I noticed that with certain people that I played with time and time again, they would vote for themselves and laugh and be like, oh, whoever wrote that gets a point because it's funny. And then I would notice that other people would just vote for that too. They kind of jump in on the bandwagon. Mm. You deceitful little... Part <laughs> of the game, man. <laughs> So, my number five, Balderdash. We'll go to Jay with your number four. Number, number four. four! My number four is Android Netrunner. Not Netrunner, which I, which originally came out in the 90s that I played. It would be Android Netrunner because it's the first time I played a collectible card game when social media existed. And when I got that game, it was it taught me how to coordinate with uh, people in Taiwan. So I connected with a lot of Taiwanese gamers and I bought cards in Chinese so I could learn a few words in Chinese. I laughed about how they were translated sometimes and I got to connect with uh, local players in a different way by speaking to them with English and Chinese and about these cards. And I got to learn how the competitive card game sub-community works in an era with social media and people can contact with each other all the time. And that would be mine number four. I love the social learning aspect of board games. It was a lot of fun. Like I getting to talk to with other people from a different culture about the same thing and see how they viewed it far more differently than I did. And it was interesting to me because they would build their decks very, very differently. And they would think about their decks in a completely different way that I would never even think of. Awesome. So Netrunner number four for Jay and Spencer. Since we're talking about learning from games, I'm going to go with one of my first learning experiences with games, and that is Mousetrap. As a kid, you know, all of these little moving parts, they seem really, really cool, and you want your parents to buy you these games. I remember we had that. We had a game where you, you have a mechanical shark in the middle, and you're trying to chomp up fish. Anyway, these sort of games teach you that, you know, Form over function. It's not necessarily that fun. All those games got played once, and you you never play them again. And even as a kid, I realized, oh, this game sucks. So taught me to be a little more discerning about and open about what games are fun to play. That's interesting. Yeah, I like that. Good perspective. I taught you about hype at a young age. Yeah. I had to wait until The Phantom Menace to learn that lesson. (laughs) (laughs) So number four, Mousetrap. For Spencer, my number four would be Kings in the Corner. Have you played Kings in the Corner? It no. might be called a different name in different sounds places. Sounds like a drinking game. It sounds like a game where your grandma's babysitting you, and it's a game to, that she plays to punish you. Exactly. Get out yes. of here. No, that's that's kind of the story. Is I played it with my grandma, and I learned how to cheat. <laughs> So Against your grandma? Yeah. So nice. in Kings in the Corner, you're supposed to play your king in the corner as soon as you get it. But I learned 
if you hold on to the kings. I don't really remember how exactly the game works, but I just remember if you hold on to the kings, it's almost impossible to lose. So I would just hold on to the kings, even though you're supposed to put them down when you get them, just to win the game. So I learned how to cheat. That was one one rule. But I, I d- <laughs> through that <laughs> through that I did learn that that even cheating without getting caught is not necessarily a good thing to do in games. So no cheating. Well, it depends on what you thought was more important: taking grandma down a peg, <laughs> or holding on to your honor. <laughs> So, my number four, Kings in the Corner. Now, Jay, number three. Number three. My number three is Arkham Horror 2nd Edition. And I'm going to say Arkham Horror 2nd Edition because it taught me what heavy games are all about. I was a big Lovecraft fan for a long time. And Arkham Horror 2nd Edition was the first big complex game that I bought where I read the rules and it felt like I read Radio Shack instructions of how to program a VCR from the 90s. A total nightmare. I had notes. (laughs) I even had a notebook in the box so I could reference my notes instead of rereading the rules. Radio Shack. (laughs) I just dated myself, didn't I? Yeah, I I don't know about that. No one knows about like VCRs in the 90s, like in the 80s, was were extremely difficult to program. There were like several knobs that you had to adjust and, and flip around. It was stupid. I just put the tape in and press play when I had a VCR. So Are we talking <laughs> about rewinding? I dozed off there for a second. Archive. Thanks, Spencer. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> Thanks. Spencer, number three. Number three for me is uh, D&D 3.5 because it's the first one, the first pen and paper game I ever played. And it, it kind of taught me the basics of D&D by teaching me the most complicated D&D game that ever came out. So basically, go heavy. You know, we went pretty hard on the first one. Uh, and then everything else after that has been pretty easy to pick up. I mean, obviously, there are some hard pen and paper games out there. Don't get me wrong. Uh, I'm going to ramble for a little bit. Let me think. What do I want to say about 3.5? What did I learn? Let's start the time. Oh, I got it. I got it. So uh, for me, 3.5, basically, I realized all of a sudden there was this canvas for creating worlds. So I always liked writing. I wasn't necessarily good at it, but I enjoyed writing. I enjoyed world creation, and I enjoyed making maps. And uh, I realized when we, right off the bat, maybe like a week in of playing D&D, I was like, whoa, this is a great way to tell a story. I've got a lot of ideas. And basically took the initial story. It was a 3.5 D&D magazine campaign called Age of Worms. Pretty, pretty famous actually adventure takes you from level one to 20 and we took that first little town diamond lake and spun it into its whole other world and now it's all the game for me but that that initial structure showing that you can take uh, a, a game and turn it into a world and i mean you can do that with board games as well i just never realized that the possibility for that was there I found it. I, f- I found my topic. So mid sentence, mid mid paragraph. Dungeons and Dragons, three point five, number yes. three. Wee oui, wee. Oui. 
I'm sorry, I was I, I fell asleep. What are we talking about? <laughs> 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 I'm just kidding. So my number three would be risk. I'm surprised this didn't make it on anyone else's list. I thought maybe we would have some overlap here. Maybe it's one year, one or two. But risk taught me some world geography. I learned about like Asian countries and Kamchatka. Australia was the most important country in the world. <laughs> uh, <laughs> no, but I learned a few few countries and names of those countries through risk. And I realized at that time that games can teach you things that are not just related to the game. You know, s- side note, have you ever seen Dante's Peak? Are you talking about the movie about the volcano and the small town? Y- yes. With Pierce Brosnan? Yes. So and that Linda Hamilton? That Was it Linda Hamilton? Wow. I got to go back and watch that. You know, th- but in the opening scene, they have the two, uh, the couple getting naked and going and running a hot spring, and then they get boiled alive, right? And then. Well, you don't find that out until later. Right. Spoiler alert. Spoiler So. <laughs> 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 anyway, re- reason why I brought this up from Risk, uh, there was always this, like, thing pointed out by scientists that that could never happen the hot spring could never you know change on a dime like that there's never been any evidence of it happening and then there was a study about a volcano in kamchatka in a nearby lake where that exact thing happened within like one minute and i was like ah i know where kamchatka is long story short risk taught me context oh okay nice now you can fall asleep <laughs> <laughs> it's impossible to, for me to fall asleep when we talk about a pierce Brosnan movie <laughs> So my number three, Risk. And Jay, let's go into your number two. Number two! I picked Dune as my number two, not because of the game, but the whole personal experience of uh, building the homebrewed version. We live in Taiwan, and at the time, my Chinese was just okay. So I had to communicate with a local printer about how to size everything, how to cut everything, and I learned how to make a game from scratch at home. And it's also taught me a lot about house rules. And there are always people who feel very differently about house rules in games. And Dune has a lot of different house rule variants. And I've tried almost all of them. So it got me a good perspective on house rules, why they work, why they don't work most of the time, and how they can be implemented even better. And Dune kind of taught me the whole process of making your own game, designing your own game, and and players designing games after they even receive the product and try to make it their own. And that's why Dune is my number two. Are you telling me landing on free parking shouldn't get me thousands of dollars? <laughs> yes. <laughs> the number one house rule. So, Spencer, number two. Uh, I said I wasn't going to say a war game, but I forgot that this one is... Is kind of a war game too. It's Rising Sun. Uh, it's my first experience with a highly produced game. Pretty expensive, big box. Basically, you have a mythological version of Japan, and you're playing these mythological cultures where you can summon big Shinto gods that are literally these giant figures that that go onto the board. Uh, and it has a really cool mechanic where you're uh, basically paying money. Uh, and trying to outbid the other player to either kill all of your units or uh, strike at another unit or spend your ronins to get over there, and then you pass off the cash 
and again, production value very high. They have real metal coins, and you pass it over to the other player. So there's this push and pull in the game. Anyway, I thought it was super clever and uh, realized that there's this whole other world of games out there that really, I mean, I had known by looking at BGG, you can see there are thousands of games, right? But this was just, this blew my mind. I had no idea there was any game like this. So I started looking into more of them. Also taught me that sometimes really produced games can also be obnoxious because taking the pieces out of the box and putting them back in is just a whole process. That was my big problem with Rising Sun too is that you have these gorgeous minis gorgeous but then you only use like 10 percent yeah game yeah and you're taking all of them out so number two rising sun my number two is poker or a lot of different other card games that have odds you need to calculate it first taught me how to calculate odds in games and that almost every game has some element of odds to them also taught me a little bit about bluffing and statistics so poker for me is my number two you know i was gonna say 13 you've ever played 13 or big two or killer but there but there are two different types of uh 13 there's basically what we could call the chinese version where you're playing with poker hands and then there's the vietnamese version where you're playing with uh runs and uh actually there are multiple versions of uh of, of that game right 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 each asian country and even within certain countries there are variants there's actually a someone who has listened to our podcast and i reached out to him he made a big two variant game for a word game and so basically huh. you're playing words that trump other words hmm. yeah is trump the trump word trump is the best word you can play no <laughs> <laughs> You automatically lose if you play Trump. This is Future Dustin here, and the name of that game is called Captain Can Spell by Charlie Yu. So definitely check that out if you're interested in that type of game. But let's get back to the number one on our countdown. Jay, you're number one. Well, when you brought this list and I thought about all the war games and historical games that I could choose from, and then you also mentioned about making it a little bit more personal. I decided to go the personal route. And so my number one is actually Dominion. It taught me the most out of all the other board games I could think of because I bought the base game and the next two expansions, and but they were all in Chinese, no English at all. So I got to learn how to say a lot of things in Chinese, like draw a card, play a card, and... It was really fascinating because sometimes the English rules or the English text on a card were kind of unclear, but the Chinese text was very clear. And that's just uh, how the each language is constructed. Those games uh, taught me a lot of Chinese and helped me out a lot in my studies, and I really enjoyed it. And it really showed that you can learn or a lot from a game. And that's my number one, Dominion in Chinese. And Spencer, your number one. I don't know about my number one, but my final one is Pandemic. Because I had never really played a cooperative game before. Uh, and actually, I played Pandemic pretty pretty late into my game discovery career, whatever we want to call it. 
when we sat down to play it, I realized, wow, we really can play against the game and it can really build uh, tension. I just didn't think that was possible. And trying to actively cooperate with each other to get things done. Uh, we got a little bit of that with Elder Tahor, but the thing is, Elder Tahor, uh, it really is, there's a lot of coordinating, but um, Pandemic felt much more organic. So number one, Pandemic, or your final one, Pandemic. My last one, we talked about this before starting the episode a little bit, whether games are considered board games or video games. And I almost put a video game on my list, but I went away from it because we do focus on analog games on this podcast. It is the name of the podcast. Right. But we also focus on games and how they interact with education. And so my number one is a game that I used or I played in school, and it was a stock market game. And basically, we had a guest like lecturer that came to class to teach us about the stock market, and we got to invest in a stock. And I think uh, it is my number one. I really liked it because I won. And can you guess <laughs> what stock I invested in? Dustin? This was in the maybe 90, mid-90s. Microsoft? No. Qualcomm? No. Qualcomm? No. I wouldn't have mid-90s. Known, I wouldn't have known what Qualcomm was. <laughs> A reverse index fund? Pepsi. Uh, Blockbuster. <laughs> oh wow wow so, <laughs> you fail you fail so i i won then but i would i would be out of a lot of money right now <laughs> so that's my number one stock you market retroactively game. lost that game blockbusters still do exist though there's I one think there's i think one. one just i think it just closed i'm not sure you'll have to i, I think i did see that on reddit yeah people whoever's yeah, listening I will have to look there it up blockbusters here in taiwan Oh, I don't know. In the States, there there was only one, I think. Well, there are like uh, stores that are similar to Blockbuster that are still around that you can rent. A well, that were Blockbuster because they still have the colors and the... Oh, really? Yeah. Hmm. Interesting. I don't know if you're telling the truth or not. I can't tell. A few years ago, though. <laughs> <laughs> are we Games have taught me so well. Are we doing a bonus round? Oh, like you want to add one more game? Yeah, I went first. Do you want to talk about another one? I think that's, I mean, if you want to. I think you fried his brain. Are you okay, Wait, Spencer? Are we, are we Spencer, where so are you? Where yes, are you? business round. Business round. Business round. Yes, business round or no business round. It's business time. It's up to you. I don't. I have one more, but it's a video game. Bonus round. Well, no, that's what I meant. I thought you wanted to do a bonus video game round. No? No. Yes? No. 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 Well, well, I, no I want to know what the game is. Well, it was Age of Empires 2. Oh. oh, that was the greatest game ever made. Yeah, that definitely taught me about civilizations. And There's stuff. a... Wolo, Wolo. Yeah. But let, let me send us out. Send us out where? So thank you, Jay and Spencer, for stopping by the studio again. It was a lot of fun to have you out. And maybe you'll see us on YouTube soon. But thank you again. Oh, I totally forgot about that. Word. Before we go, Jay is a writer at the website Cardboard East. Jay, where could our listeners find more information about you if they want to get to know you or learn about some Asian games? Oh, well, I run the website CardboardEast.com, and you can go to CardboardEast.com or find me on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter. And I'm pretty active on BGG, and you can hit me up there as well. And Spencer owns a restaurant, a vegan restaurant here in Taipei, and I help him run a board game event once a month 
But Spencer, where can someone find you if they want to get to know you? <laughs> you can find me in the middle of Taipei. I am in my little dungeon under the restaurant called Hooch. If you search Hooch on Google Maps, you'll find us. Uh, we have board game days. We're doing a board game language exchange now. Uh, we're trying to add in some fun little events in the Taipei scene. Our next one coming up is an astronomy drinks. Uh, basically, we'll have the uh, astronomy branch of a local university doing a public outreach, a little quiz, get a little get a little drunk talking about the stars. That sounds awesome. When does that happen? Uh, I believe it's next Saturday, and it's going to be monthly. So Saturday, next Saturday night. Yeah. Good to know because this will probably come out in about a month. So we will be, they'll be able to come to it next month. Yeah, it'll be, it month. should be the last, last Saturday of every month. Uh, and the more interest we get in Chinese, the more uh, they might do a bilingual one. So this first one will be in English. The, the following ones might be English and Chinese. Oh, that sounds awesome. Awesome. Well, thank you guys for coming by. It's always fun to chat, even though we have hours and hours of talking. We only get to talk about games for a few minutes, but thank you. You only get to talk about games for a few minutes. I am games. Thank you for listening in this week. If you like what you heard, be sure to let us know. You can find us on social media as Board Gaming with Education or BGE Games, or email us at podcast at boardgamingwitheducation.com. If you want to support our podcast, be sure to check out our support page on our website. As always, teach better, learn more, and most importantly, play more. Thank you for listening, and until next time.